Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, February 9th. I'm Margaret Tollif, in for Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Cryptocurrency spends big to reach 100 million people. Plus, why a failed, vague agreement holds promise in the Ukraine-Russia crisis. But first, the so-called don't-say-gay bill gaining momentum in Florida is today's one big thing. This week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis expressed his support for what critics are calling the Don't Say Gay Bill. It could restrict LGBTQ discussion in elementary schools and allow parents to sue in some cases. Axios' Celine Sanfelice has been reporting on this from Tampa, and it's here to explain. So, Celine, what does this bill do? This bill has been dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, but it's actually called the Parental Rights and Education Bill. A lot of the debate around what's happening to kids in schools has to do with what parents sign off on. So this bill would say that students in any primary school level can't talk about any sort of gender or sexual identity. And that goes for teachers. It's about 31 words in the bill, but it is the center of the debate around it. There are a lot of bills that are never going anywhere that we don't write stories about or talk about. What makes this different? Among about 280 anti-LGBTQ bills that are in legislatures around the country right now, this one is, if not the most extreme, the most popular. After Governor DeSantis gave it his blessing on Monday, the Senate Education Committee voted to approve it. It looks like it's going to pass. And the governor also claims that kids in schools are being told by teachers, don't worry, don't pick your gender yet. What are teachers and students saying about this? Students from the LGBTQ community came and testified against the bill at Tuesday's Senate hearing, as well as several teachers, uh, some of whom said that they would quit if this bill passed. What is the reaction like among parents um, on, in both sides of the debate? So at Tuesday's hearing, a woman actually spoke in favor of the bill. Uh, This woman sued her local school board after she found out that her child's middle school formed what she called a transgender support plan with her child without actually notifying her, the parent, and then wouldn't give the parents any information about that plan. On the other hand, you have parents who spoke at the hearing and asked, how can my child participate in school projects when they have two moms or two dads? And how can they participate in things like projects about their family if they can't even talk about their families? Celine Sanfelice co-writes the Axios Tampa Bay newsletter. Thanks, Celine. Thank you. We'll be back in 15 seconds with crypto ads and the Super Bowl. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Margaret Tollif, in for Nyla Boudou. On Sunday, the Super Bowl will include cryptocurrency ads for the first time. Some are dubbing it the Crypto Bowl. In a way, it's crypto's big reveal. But there are a lot of Americans, okay, me, who still don't really totally get what crypto is. So we've called on Axios's resident crypto expert, Dan Primack, to explain. Dan, these are really expensive ads, $7 million for a 30-second spot. Who are these companies trying to reach? Are they trying to reach sports fans or like all Americans or investors? They're trying to reach you, right? The person who said you don't understand, but maybe you've got some money to invest. Maybe you invest in stocks or you buy art or, or do something else. 
crypto is going mainstream. And you've got, for example, Crypto.com just put its name on what was the Staples Center, which is where the Lakers play in LA. And FTX also had its logo on all the Major League Baseball umpire uniforms during the World Series last year. All of this is to say they're looking for a huge audience, right? They want that 50, 100, 200 million people who don't already invest in crypto and sports, and particularly the Super Bowl, is that one still central meeting spot where we all watch the same thing live. And so that's what they're going for. Biggest bang for their buck. So maybe a quick debrief for the uninitiated. What is crypto? Is it another form of cash? Can it be used? Who can use it? Right now, it doesn't have much practical application. You know, early on in the idea of Bitcoin, it was, oh, you'd go to the store and you could buy your cup of coffee with Bitcoin. And to some extent, some people can do that, but it's really too volatile to have it be actually practical. And there's lots of different forms of crypto. It's not just a dollar or just Bitcoin. There's lots of different types of cryptocurrencies you can invest in and trade on all of these platforms. I kind of feel like an ancient person with a bag of salt who's like, why would I use this piece of paper or this lump of gold instead of just trading salt or donkeys like what how does it work and how can you can you hold it in your hand no but you can't hold a stock certificate in your hand anymore either right if you buy shares of ibm or gm or google they don't send you anything anymore it's all data crypto is from a practical perspective if you're trading it same thing. You never get a physical thing, but you've got some. It's sitting in an account and it either gains in value or it goes down in value and you buy it or you sell it or you hold it forever. How long until our salaries are paid in crypto? How long until our 401k is saved in crypto? Hopefully a very long time because this is incredibly volatile. You know, you're talking about, we talk about inflation, right? Which is, you know, maybe 6% year over year. Crypto can go up or down, particularly certain cryptocurrencies, 20% in a day. If you were getting paid in this, you might have a really good payday and you could have a disastrous can't pay the rent payday. How are these companies actually paying for these very expensive ads? Cash, cold, hard cash. Uh, they're not paying for these in crypto, but they are making lots and lots of money off these crypto trades. And that money often is coming in cash, right? You link these to, say, a bank account or you take a certain amount of money and put it in. You're putting cash in. It's getting converted into something else. But they are making money. You know, FTX, they just raised venture capital at a $32 billion valuation. That's $32 billion U.S. dollars. And the money they raised was in U.S. dollars. Dan Permek is the business editor at Axios. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. In the coming days, as Western European allies and the U.S. try to de-escalate the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, you can expect to hear a lot of references to the Minsk Accords. So we asked Axios' national security correspondent, Zach Basu, for a crash course in what they are and why they matter. So, Zach, what are the Minsk Accords? So the Minsk Accords were signed back in 2014 and 2015. It's actually two sets of agreements. Um, and they basically called for a ceasefire between Ukraine and the Russian-backed separatists who were uh, waging a war uh, in the eastern Donbass region. They were signed under heavy military duress. The Ukrainians were suffering heavy casualties on the battlefield, and they basically signed this agreement, uh, this ceasefire, in exchange for concessions to the separatists in the east the concessions include giving these separatist-controlled regions some form of special status in exchange for you know, Russia withdrawing its forces and, and returning control of the border to Ukraine. But they haven't actually been implemented. The ceasefire never held, uh, and there have been a lot of disagreements about uh, 
how Minsk should actually be interpreted. If they've never been implemented, why are they being viewed as the best chance to stop a catastrophic war throughout Europe? Well, in some ways, that sort of speaks to just how dire the situation is. I mean, over the past seven years, there hasn't really been a way to bridge the gaps between the two sides. But, you know, if there is going to be a diplomatic solution, the thinking is that it will be within this framework. But it's really contingent on Russia deciding that it's in their interest to end the war on Ukraine, which so far they've shown no interest in doing. Axios' national security reporter, Zach Besu. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. And we leave you today with this. Some of you may have grown up with Build-A-Bear, the personalized teddy bear company found in malls around the U.S. Well, it turns out those bears have grown up, too. Just released the After Dark collection of stuffed bears, rabbits, frogs, and more, clad in undies or boxers with the ultimate accessories, a bottle of wine or some hard seltzer. Just another sign that this pandemic has gone on way too long. I'm Margaret Tolliv, and that's all we've got for you today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Every week, the Art of Power podcast shares intimate, unexpected conversations with changemakers like Barack Obama and Margaret Cho. Listen to WBEZ Chicago host Arthi Shahani and The Art of Power wherever you get your podcasts.